Well, folks, we made it to December of 2020, and this year's been crazy. You should treat yourself this holiday season with a prime rib. And not just any prime rib. You need a United Harvest Wagyu Angus Cross prime rib for you and your family to chow down on, throw it in the smoker for hours. Hours, literally. Please do this. Send us some photos. I would love to see it. Enjoy it with your family because you you need it, okay? This year sucked, guys. Come on. Go to unitedharvest.com. Check out the specials that they are having on their prime rib and any other meat that they have in stock. It's incredible meat. Trust me. I've tried it. Unitedharvest.com. Type in the promo code FRIENDS15. For 15% off your first order, unitedharvest.com. They say that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, but expecting a different outcome. Hey folks, I want to welcome you back to another great episode of the Cattle Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Scott, and I want to thank you for joining us here. You know, honestly, I think cattle ranchers can feel pretty frustrated and just a little bit insane themselves when it comes to getting paid and getting properly rewarded for the quality product that they raise and sell, American beef. Now, we hear a lot of chatter in the news about the Packers, about Packer manipulation, about Packer profit hoarding. And we got to think as we hear this, man, there has got to be a better way. But year after year after year, Things go by and nothing ever seems to change. Certainly, we keep operating the same way as we always have. Kind of insane, right? Well, not so fast. In today's interview, I'm going to introduce you to someone who challenges that a little bit as I bring onto the podcast Mr. Cameron King from California. Now, Cameron's joined forces with a company named United Harvest, who has totally reimagined the beef production model with a goal of producing not only an outstanding product and a great eating experience, but also increasing the bottom line profits for our American ranchers and cow-calf producers. As you listen to today's interview, I want you to focus in on a few words that Cameron keeps saying over and over and over again. Words like community, transparency, family, local, sustainable. These words I've learned are really at the heart of this great company and their outstanding mission that he'll describe for you in this interview. In this interview, my goal is for your minds to be opened and your thinking challenged and expanded just a little bit to the notion that maybe, just maybe, there is a better way of doing things. And I also want this interview to be an encouragement as we begin to wrap up and wind down the year 2020 and move into the holiday spirit, the holiday season. Uh, I certainly realize that some folks out there are a little down, a little depressed, a little disgusted about the year that we've had. No doubt, it's been a topsy-turvy year with lots of ups and downs, lots of curveballs and challenges thrown to us by this COVID pandemic. But keep one thing in mind. In the midst of great difficulty, there is great opportunity to be found. Now, I didn't say that. Albert Einstein did. But I believe it 100%. And I want this interview to be an encouragement to you. These folks in the year 2020, 
found great opportunity among all these cha challenges that we're facing, and you can too. Let's get to today's interview with Mr. Cameron King. Well, we're here with Cameron King of King Farms in Tule Lake, California. First and foremost, Cameron, thanks for coming on the Cattle Pros Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, thanks for having me today, Jake. I appreciate it. It seems like we're all getting busier and busier and busier in our lives and in our jobs. And, you know, you and I have, we've made a run at this two or three times and we even had to reschedule today. So you're no different than the rest of us. Um, you're out ranching, you're taking care of cows and you've just run in for a minute to take care of this interview. So we understand that you got a lot going on today and we really appreciate your time. Oh, no problem. Well, I'm excited to uh, for this interview today and uh, excited to talk about our, what we're doing. Likewise. If you've been listening to our previous episodes, folks, you've heard um, some sponsorship that we've taken on that's been running some commercials before these podcasts uh, air called the United Harvest uh, Meat Company, the United Harvest Group. And the reason that we have Cameron on today is that he's going to explain a little bit more about what this company does. Now, if you listen to Cannon Brown's podcast, the show, he interviewed Jeff and Matt, the owners of the company. They laid out for you some of the business and some of the big picture of it. But what we wanted to do on Cattle Pros is really talk to the producers. We got a lot of producers in our audience. A lot of you listening right now are doing the same thing that Cameron and I are doing. We've been working uh, all day long before we've gotten on this interview, on this podcast, trying to take care of things at a ranch. And um, I wanted to hear it from his perspective to how this program is working. And um, I sure encourage you to go back and listen to that interview with Cannon as he interviews uh, Jeff uh, Perfect and Matt Robertson, I believe, the owners of the company. But um, an integral part of the team is Cameron King, and especially from the production side of things. In other words, the beef raising side of things, as I understand it, Cameron. So uh, in a nutshell, and we're going to break it down a little more, but why don't you just start off telling the people, in a nutshell, basically what the United Harvest Group is doing. Well, United Harvest was founded um, by Jeff Perfect and Matt Roberson um, with some help from me um, from the production cattle side with a vision of having a vertically integrated system that had the money going back to where it needed to go and that's to the american rancher and it really just started with our own group of cattle and uh, our own local butcher and people trying the beef that we were finishing at home by ourselves and realizing that maybe we had a superior product and then also realizing how much money was coming out up the chain all the way up to the big monopolized meat companies. And uh, those guys that founded United Harvest, Jeff and Matt, realized that this cannot be a sustainable way for the American rancher to keep on enduring the modern times that we have. And they basically decided that we need to change this. And so, that's when United Harvest was kind of born. I love the idea. I love the concept, but that's a pretty tall order. 
Cameron. So we hear the word, you mentioned vertical integration. So we hear that pretty commonly used when we're describing the production system used in the poultry business and chickens, uh, in the pig business. Um, that's more easily uh, done, I think, than it is in the cattle business. So you guys, uh, although you might've started kind of small and, and from humble means, you had a gigantic vision for a gigantic industry. And let's compare what you guys are doing to where we're at today. And so I'm, I'm going to kind of nutshell this to those of you who are, who are listening at home. You already understand this, but let's just go through our current beef production system as it exists today. Okay. So Cameron, we here at Krebs Ranch and you at King Farms to a large degree are in the business of supplying genetics in this yes. chain of production. So we're seed stock producers. We're genetic suppliers. We're running registered purebred cows, Angus in our case. We are selling everything from embryos out of elite donors to semen out of our best herd sires to actually sons of those herd sires and our bull sales. But all of those genetics eventually find their way into the commercial uh, beef production industry. Okay. And that is going to go to a commercial cow-calf operation. And that would be what I'd call the second part. Seed stock first, commercial cow-calf production second. Cow-calf producer, just as the name states, is going to uh, maintain a, a, a large cow herd in most cases. They're going to raise calves once a year, either in a spring or fall. They're going to raise those calves up. Majority of those producers are going to wean them. And then they're going to sell them, a private treaty, video auction, whatever the case may be, to someone uh, like a stocker operation in the south, it's going to put them on some winter grazing or a yearling operation, maybe a summer grazing operation. Those people are going to add weight on them. They're going to put two or 300 pounds on those cattle. And then they, again, are going to sell them, this time to a feedlot. Uh, the feedlot, the feed yards are going to do the final finishing, the final uh, performance of those animals. They're going to get the condition and the fat on them that we need for the meat quality going to get the weight on them that we need. And then that goes to a packer, a butcher. That meat gets processed and goes to a retailer or a grocer. So we got a lot of steps, as you described, in this chain from mm -hmm. beginning to end. And there's multiple transactions along the way. And at each one of those transactions, there's an opportunity for either profit or loss. We hope profit. <laughs> but but realistically, at every step of the game, the odds are that not every one of those transactions are going to be profitable. We hope they are. It's what we're all trying to do, but, but that's a difficult thing to do. Explain to us, Cameron, how uh, your team with United Harvest sees the beef production model differently. Well, um, we're, I'm sort of adopting a new um, – motto not our concept we've all heard farm to table um the, that concept that's been you know widely sought after and people are really hunting for those kind of products in in the food industry mm -hmm. um, but i think we're gonna try and uh, maybe trademark the term um from conception to table mm -hmm. um and even more so because like we said you know jake you and i we are seed stock and genetic suppliers. Um, but in order for everything to work just the way we want it to <laughs> and to be the most efficient and profitable for the rancher, 
um, everything needs to be kind of, you know, zeroed in on. So that way we can really focus on less inputs with maximum output. And that comes all the way back to the bull that's breeding a cow. Um, if that bull is tailor made for the kind of animal that we need to be finished for United Harvest, then we can ask that cow to produce a calf every year, but that calf in the end run is going to become more efficient for that whole supply chain being vertically integrated. Um, so the big, the big end game for United Harvest is with the vertical integration piece is that we would have ranchers out there seeking to be a part of our program they would we would have basically a guideline of the kind of bulls um, or genetics that we want them to use so that way their finished product of a calf is as marketable and as efficient you know for everything from the butcher and all that um, and getting it out there to the public um, so we want we want to start there and getting those ranchers you know saying, well, this is the best thing you can do for you. It's going to put more money in your pocket and it's going to make it easier for us to increase those margins down the chain. Um, and then going into that goes right to the commercial cow guy. He would use that bull and then produce his calf, um, take it up. Now, if a rancher was to have the ability to wean their calf and then background them themselves that's something we'd prefer because the less the less hands that these cattle are changed through the less death loss we have the the more less stress these animals have i mean it's just all of it comes down to a, lo a lot of stress on these animals and that also really factors into that end quality of the product sure um, and then you get into your, you know, trickling down, uh, but we would, you know, still have people, we're still going to have to background cattle and uh, some people aren't going to have the means to background them themselves, but we want to work with backgrounders who are, are, you know, being third party verified under natural um, NHGC protocols, no antibiotics, no hormones. And then also that they are, pat, you know, meeting some guidelines if they're out on grass that they're using good grazing practices and things like that and then if they're in a dry lot feedlot situation that we're adhering to certain guidelines not overcrowding cattle um, and then also um, proper handling at all times from the ranch up through the stalker and the feedlot um, when we get to the feedlot stage we really want to control that stage. I don't say we want to control the the group, the rancher up through the feedlot and the butcher and United Harvest. We want to control how that animal's finished. Um, if you try a steak that's fattened in um, Kansas, well, it's going to be predominantly corn fed. If you try one that's coming off of the United Harvest line right now, well, they don't have an ounce of corn in their diet. Oh, really? They are strictly 100% no corn. And so what we are replacing corn with is uh, potatoes, 
and potato byproduct. Um, we're adding grain, but we're using wheat and barley. Um, but in a, you know, it's not a staple part of their entire um, finishing ration. And then we're also using grain hay, um, different varieties based on the time of the year, what we need for energy or versus protein, that type of thing. Um, but no corn. Um, we've just found that people with a corn, true corn-fed steak, um, there's a definite difference in flavor. And everything that we've done with the potato finish, um, that we call it, we call it the potato finish, it is a white starch. And so that has a different way that those animals put that fat and marble and into the meat. And it's it, when you cook the steak, it, you also have a, a little different makeup of flavor and things like that. Um, That's interesting, Cameron. We always think about meat and potatoes, but you're literally using potatoes to make meat now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, and it, it actually mimics um, what they do when it comes to Wagyu and Kobe beef. Um, they don't feed any corn to true Kobe beef in Japan. They actually feed rice and rice byproducts. Um, and that is because white rice is a white starch. And so it's, it's really similar to that, except for white rice around here isn't predominantly grown and it's hard to get any byproduct from that. Um, but the potatoes, um, we have local growers here where our first feedlot is, and they are, they have potatoes that are not rotten. They're not, you know, um, degrading. They are good, good solid um, pieces of potato, but they're just kicked out because they may look a little funny and they don't look good on the grocery shelf. So um, we get to buy those and uh, feed them to cattle. So, yeah. And I wasn't aware that there's that much food that we produce vegetables, especially in the United States that um, for no other reason other than cosmetics really isn't, it never enters our food chain. And I saw, um, I should be able to tell you the company you may know, but there's a, uh, a website that started selling food. I, I, I suppose at some kind of a discount price that is nothing but things like that, you know, carrots that I guess aren't as straight as the ones that we buy or whatever the case is. But, you know, it, it's an interesting idea and it opened my eyes to the fact that this is something in a, as we get into a world where sustainability and conservation is more important to people as it should be, um, there's things like that that we can utilize and take advantage of and and uh, and harness to even using our beef production because like you said traditionally we think of a of a grain-fed animal just being fed corn you know that's that's how our mm -hmm. traditional feedlot system works but you guys have found a way to get some some feedstuffs and some ingredients in there that will provide the finish and the taste and the quality that we like but just from some different sources that are um, really probably not being utilized efficiently any other way. Absolutely. Um, those potatoes, they either get sold to the cheapest bidder or they uh, just get put out in a, in, a, in a dirt lot and wither away. So um, it's just, it's been done around our area here for about 50 years now. Um, actually, my grandfather, who was a feedlotter in the 60s and 70s, he started up um, doing that. 
And so it's just, it's always been around, but um, just people don't have the, the packers out here that they've been able to move these finished animals to um, okay. because they all went to bigger areas where there was more corn or more other things. But, um, and I can, I'll touch on that a little bit later about what we're doing here locally um, with our community. But, um, and so on our, as far as the vertical integration piece goes, so we get to the packer and that's where we now, um, we, we're taking our own finished animals out of the feedlot. We're taking them up to a local USDA inspected kill plant. Um, and then after that, they're going to our USDA packaging facility, which we have a, a butcher there who's been in the meat business for 50 years. Um, and he is working with us and um, basically his whole family's in there packaging meat up. And uh, so they're, they're doing the individual cut and wrap piece, which sometimes flows into that retailer grocer piece. Um, and so then we're taking that part out of it. And then basically the, the added level to this, but it's still in the whole process is, is shipping. Well, instead of us trucking refrigerated or frozen beef in a large semi across the country, now it's just getting put in a box here locally and then shipped directly to someone's door. So, um, so UPS is doing fairly good off of us. But, but. <laughs> so you would, you directly receive those shipments just like you would receive any other piece of mail that would come to you uh, frozen in a cooler and just arrive right at your door as you order it. So that's done online, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Everything is done online. Um, uh, we, I will say we're pretty family oriented. My wife's in the shipping department. <laughs> I love and, it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the seed stock, uh, calf commercial cow calf and the feedlot end of it. And, uh, and then we have a butcher shop that's loaded with a bunch of family members. So, um, it's, it's all good. But the, the big thing about that whole vertical integration piece is just, we saw that you look at all those facets and everyone in there has to make a living. But for some reason, that cow calf guy was at the bottom rung of the ladder. And yet if he quits producing a calf, it's all over. And so we just, the Jeff and Matt, the founders of United Harvest, they really were like, man, this is just so wrong. Like these people struggle, they fight for minimal margins. Sometimes, some years the average cattle rancher just hopes he breaks even. Mm-hmm. And that's wrong. Um, when you can go to the grocery store and you can start adding up the prices of the meat that's sitting in the counter and you can do the math and say, well, times that by how much meat came off of uh, a full-blown 1,500-pound finished steer, something's wrong. And it, it needs to be righted. I totally agree. And I want to get into more of that mission that inspired Jeff and Matt to create this and inspired you to get involved with it. But um, 
you know, I'll, I'll go on the record. I am a proud, unashamed capitalist. That's one of the things <laughs> I love about America, the freedom yep. for everybody to make money and make a living and, and um, work as hard as you can and make as much as you can. I'm not against that at all. But um, yep. if you've followed beef industry news at all, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the um, what it seems disproportional profits that our packers are making compared to the other people in the production chain. Yeah. And it absolutely. sounds like you guys have kind of went into this with the idea of evening up the playing field a little bit, or at least being able to distribute those profits more equitably and more fairly perhaps than it feels like they're being distributed now up and down uh, the chain. Well, and that's, that's the, the end goal. I mean, some people could say, well, you know, uh, the meat on United, the meat on United Harvest is fairly expensive. Well, the the reason behind that is we see the value in the meat, and really, you know that that this stuff is we're trying to produce it extremely high quality, kind of that one cut above what you can buy in the grocery store, mm -hmm. and uh, so you don't want to discount it too much, but we want to make sure that these ranchers are getting that dollar back. And so um, certain things we've talked about um, as a group is that we want to see ways that these ranchers can be enticed into getting into our program. And one of those is, well, social media is a huge part of everyone's world these days. Um, I mean, if you're not on it, then you're kind of behind the times or, you know, you're not accessing something that has a huge volume of information. Um, and so we looked at like, well, if, if a rancher was to get involved with us, if, if they're doing their part on social media and, um, you know, advocating for United Harvest and their products and all that kind of stuff, then that should be a bonus for that rancher. He should get X amount of dollars back per animal um, just for doing that work, for doing more work than he's already doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a big hit for Matt that he just is like, that's, th these are the things that have to happen. And then we really want to reward ranchers who, you know, stick to what we, we know about what we need for a finished animal. And if they produce a, a set of steers that are just astronomically, you know, good grading and and perform well in the feedlot and all that um we want to reward those those successes of those ranchers because some of those ranchers never get to see that they send it to the stalker guy and he sends it to the feedlot and they sometimes through programs like angus source or whatever get information back but they're not getting paid for it mm -hmm. you know not the way they should be uh -huh. so that's that's another big deal is we really want to see those guys who have good performing cattle um, that they get those kickbacks and and just as bonuses I mean not just on the animal itself on the carcass just by the head type of thing so mm -hmm. well I love the idea of um, our ranchers and our cow calf producers being rewarded properly adequately and at a better rate than they are now for the premium product that they're, they're making uh, extra efforts and ex putting extra expense in to produce for us, the consumers. And I'll tell you the other thing that I like, Cameron, I like made in the USA. 
that means something Same to best. me. I don't care if it's the pickup truck I'm driving or the jacket that I put on this morning. I'm willing to pay a little extra if I know that it came from right here in America. And I, for me, my food isn't any different. And there's another hot topic out there right now, and that's country of origin labeling. And yep. you guys aren't the only one that's in the subscription meat business or the, the direct ship meat business, but you better look pretty closely into some of these companies who are advertising um, these meat products that they'll ship you at home. Because I think what you'll find when you look into that is that a lot of that stuff's coming from Australia, um, South America, from countries other than America. And what I like about your products and what you guys are doing, what I'm hearing, Cameron, is this is made right here in the good old US of A. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's, we want to be as transparent as possible. That's another word that we've really honed in on to be part of our mission is transparency. I mean, if somebody calls up the United Harvest website and um, gets a hold of somebody and says, well, I don't believe you. I want to see what you're doing. We would invite them people to come into the butcher shop and work all the way back down to those calves being born on the ground. I have no problem loading them up in a pickup and they can come help me feed. <laughs> but yeah, I right. mean, we, see it firsthand. Yeah, I mean we we want to be able to do those things. We'd love to have some field days and things like that with uh, customers or people who are interested just so people can see that it's not just on the shelf, guys. It started, you know, out here in the mud in the snow and and we had to make it happen. You know, um, it's it's not all sunshine and daisies and cowboys riding off into the sunset type of thing. You know, it's there's hard parts. A lot of it's just hard. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but we want to be transparent and make sure that people understand um, what where they're getting it from and that it's that it is 100% USA made and and fed and everything. So. I appreciate what you've shared with us so far. And if you're listening at home, you're probably like me. What Cameron has explained so far, it, it feels like he's just kind of wet our beak a little bit. So I'm intrigued with the idea. I think I'm starting to get a picture taking shape in my mind of, okay, you want to be vertically integrated, but I want to paint that picture a little more clearly for our audience. So let's do a little bit deeper dive into this. And I want to ask you, maybe some more specific questions on exactly how this thing's working from end to end. And, and let's just start. You've talked about Matt and Jeff a lot, the founders, the owners of the company. But what I want to ask you is really what was, and you touched on this a little bit, but go deeper for us. What was the inspiration behind wanting to do this? I mean, were these guys ranchers already? Or another way to ask that, I mean, is there a mission statement or a real mission behind this company? Open our eyes to that a little bit, Cameron. Um, well, just the specific instance that kind of lit the fire was uh, Matt, um, he he owned some cattle and uh, I, I was raising cattle and um, raising, working for him in a sense. Um, and then basically he, he, uh, COVID hit, um, back in the spring and he, he lives down in the Bay area, California. And, uh, things got a little, little nervous down there. And he basically called me up and said, Hey, I need some meat. 
And I said, okay, well, I've got some. Um, you know, I, I just had this animal harvested here recently. And, you know, yeah, come up and I'll load you up and you can take some stuff home. And he said, oh, okay. So he did. Well, that animal happened to be a potato finished uh, animal. And uh, he took it home and he said, this, what is this? This is the best beef I've ever had. And I explained it to him, what, how we finished it. And we did that. And he said, gosh, how do we do more of that? And I said, well, you got to, you know, up the game a little bit. You got to get more cattle, bigger feedlot, stuff like that. And uh, so anyways, then uh, with COVID ramping up, um, he was just like, man, there's just a lot of people getting very nervous about where their food is. Like, is it going to be there next week on the shelf? Because a and lot of they, stores we went into, you couldn't find so much as a pack of hamburger. If it is, you couldn't hardly yeah. afford it. Yeah, absolutely. And we had local restaurants, grocery stores calling us going, oh, really? you know, you hear you have beef. Do, do you have some? I said, well, not that much, you know, but, um, so that's kind of where the seed started. And then he, um, was up here and, um, going through some stuff and and then he wanted to talk to my butcher and uh so they sat down and got to talking about you know how could we you know you know maybe do this some more and replicate this process and i told him well I, the feedlot part of it we know how that works the butcher said you need to talk to him and so he did and then we then we looked at some other people who were kind of established in this farm to table, deliver it to your door, meat business. And we just saw the margins and the, you know, what they were charging for beef. And, but then we realized that in there, a lot of them weren't saying that they were getting that money back to the, the rancher. That's, that wasn't their goal. Or, I mean, and you're just starting to add up the numbers and you're like, wow these guys are making some serious money, but then that's where Matt said, well, we don't need to, that, that's not our goal. Our goal is that th that rancher is going to get a lot of that money back and that we just need to get this good product to people who want to buy it and we need to do it right. We got it. And you know, he just started doing the math on um, what, some big companies were making and he's just like, this is, this is unreal. Why are, why are ranchers going broke? Mm. They shouldn't be. So that's, that was the deal. And then basically it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, Jeff got involved and um, his expertise in the technological world and everything was just, whoa, awesome. And he came in and just took hold of that. And it really, allowed everyone to kind of stay in their area of expertise um, where they needed to be, where they're the most valuable, you know? Um, and so anyways, that's, that's essentially how it really kicked off. But I would, I would attribute a large amount of our thought process was due to this COVID problem. That's so. interesting. And, and so many people have looked at COVID and they curl their lip and, the year 2020 and they roll their eyes, but your guys saw some things happening and actually looked at it from the standpoint that, Hey, there's an opportunity that exists here. 
Um, we see a need, we think we can fill it. We see a problem, we think we can solve it. And I gotta tell you, Cameron, I love that spirit. I love that attitude. And yeah. there's, um, I bet there's a lot of examples of that laying around right now if we just kind of open our eyes to it and look at it. May have to think about things a little different just like you and the team are, but um, th this can be a time for opportunity. Uh, I'll be a little hard to see right now. So unitedharvest.com is having some incredible holiday sales for you and your family this year. Go check out their entire catalog of beef, Angus, Wagyu cross. We got Hoodrite pork and we got American grass fed lamb. Go try out any of those products at unitedharvest.com. Enter the promo code friends 15 for 15% off your first order unitedharvest.com. Okay, I think I get it. I, I see where your guys um, saw some opportunity here. Love the part of the story where it wasn't just profit-driven, the inspiration for it. Um, you know, there's some profit in there that they saw, but they, they felt like there's an opportunity to help our American ranchers and cattle producers in, in doing this and make a great product for our consumers. When we're talking about the production side of it, you guys are kind of starting small was the production just within you and Matt's own program or did you take on other ranchers to begin raising calves for you? Um, well, they, they had calves raised, but we vetted a couple outfits um, right off the bat because we, we saw, well, if, if things with United Harvest really take off, we don't want to fall behind. We don't want somebody to call up, order a product and it not be there. You know, yeah. that, that's disappointing to them. That's disappointing for us. And we want to, we want to have satisfactory customers. So we incorporated a few um, local ranches around here um, that we bought cattle from. Um, we bought them from them this first go around because they were like, well, Hey, we don't, we don't want to retain ownership on these right away. Um, Cause you guys are just a startup deal. And we said, well, that's, that's fine, you know, no problem. But we paid them well for their animals. Um, they were extremely happy. And uh, even so, we had some callbacks of people, you know, they sold us one batch of calves, and then they called back and said, would you be interested in these? And we said, absolutely, and we're willing to pay what you want for them. And they were like, wow, this is, this is some of the easiest dealings we've ever had. <laughs> and they liked it because they didn't have to worry about um, you know, taking the risk, putting them up at the auction or something. Um, they knew what they were going to get before they left the ranch. So right. that was a big benefit. Um, I won't name names just because I don't know if they would, they would want me to or not at this point in time. Um, but yeah, there, we just, we thought, you know, we know that here, the reason things got kickstarted pretty easily too, is we have, a, we happen to have a USDA um, slaughterhouse here locally um, within 30 miles of my home place. And uh, then the butcher shop happens to be five minutes from that. And our shipping buildings happens to be um, 10 steps from the butcher shop. And so a lot of pieces work really well in our area here. But then we also thought, well, man, when we get, if this thing grows, we can have those kinds of community oriented situations 
in different areas of the United States, whether it be Nebraska or it could be, you know, in Kentucky or something. We could have these where the kill plants there, the butcher shops there, the shipping facilities there, and all that stuff can happen pretty close um, in in those areas. So that's um, that was a pretty good thing for us um otherwise we may have to ship our beef a hundred miles mm-hmm. um, and then the stress on the animal and all that stuff that's not what we want to do so um those little bits worked out well for us um to, a lot to of get things a lot of things were kind of right there and made it easy for you to kind of test this idea this concept that you had and yeah. Kind of crawl before you walk, walk before you run, it sounds like, just incrementally growing this as you get validation that the idea is working and, and letting it kind of network out from there is what I'm hearing. Yep, yep, exactly. So, so I understand yeah. the production of the calves from a cow-calf standpoint, but now I'll explain a little bit more about who feeds this beef, and I got to know more about this potato thing. So get into a little bit more about like, obviously, as this thing grows, I assume you can't feed them all yourselves. So where's this going to happen? And are you, is there just a plentiful supply of these potatoes that you can continue to have enough to feed them as your, your demand grows, as your business grows? Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Let, well, let's go on uh, who feeds the beef. Well, that'd be me. I'm that'd the guy. You. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, we have an entity that's called K7 Feeders. Um, that's just, it's just a piece to the pie, but it's just, we had to differentiate everything. But um, it we're feeding the beef um, at a local feedlot here, like I said, 30 miles from the kill um, facility. And uh, we're, we, it's, we're using local employees, um, guys that have been on my other crew for years um so that's where that part comes in um then uh what we're feeding them so yeah the i I mentioned potatoes and grain hay and barley and wheat and so we're working with a nutritionist um he's very experienced out of california um and what we're doing is we're we get high volumes of potatoes at certain times of the year and then Uh low volumes at other times. Okay. Uh, And then grain is kind of available year round um, and grain hay, we can store it and um, do that pretty easily. um, So we can feed that product year round as well. The potatoes, we can get almost the same result from potatoes that we can with like barley or wheat. Uh Uh-huh. Um, but the palatability to the animal is that you can watch beef go to a bunk full of ground hay, ground barley, a little bit of water mixed in there, you know, to stick everybody together. And then you put some potatoes in there and they dig through the pile to find potatoes. How they do just, you process those potatoes before you feed them? Yeah, we... We get all kinds of potatoes, but they're all, everything we've been getting is organic. Oh, wow. um, Non-GMO. And they're what we call, I call hard skin potatoes. So it's not what they make potato chips out of. It's the stuff that you're eating on the dinner table 
Okay. Uh, reds, Yukon golds, fingerlings, purples, uh, Norcotas, uh, russets, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a higher sugar content, oh. and that means less pulp and water, but more actual energy and carbohydrate sure. inside the potato. Sure. And then the skin's harder, and they don't break down as easy. So we run them through a process. I just call it the soup bowl. Um, we put those um, potatoes into a vertical feed mixer with extra blades, and it basically makes potato soup. Okay. You end up with quarter-sized chunks and, uh, and kind of a slop, and then we put that on a – uh, surface that we can scrape and scoop that up uh-huh. um, without getting a lot of contaminants in it. Uh-huh. And then we add everything and we feed with a vertical feed mixer. So in the Midwest, a lot of us would be familiar with like a wet distiller's product, you know, yep. and it, I'm, I'm envisioning something like that, kind of a pulpy mixture of these potatoes yeah, that has some moisture content to it, but you can still scoop it probably with a payloader front end mm-hmm. loader bucket or something and put it into your feed wagon. Yeah, very similar consistency. It's just the potatoes are still a lot of what's in there is water and then it's just the potato chunks. What's the smell is, like when it co- goes through that process? I mean, does it, it have a sweet like, smell or Yeah, kind of a sweet starch almost like french fries type of thing. Really? <laughs> yeah. You'd be getting hungry while you're out there feeding. Yeah. Oh, it's good, but yeah, we and, you know, there was a process to potatoes where you put it in pits and you'd ferment it and do things like that. That's an older process. But we found that just it's a lot easier to manage the product when it's freshly ground every day for the cattle. Um, so we do it every day um, just as, as, on an as-needed basis. So, so uh, I don't know if you knew this going into it. I don't know that you didn't, but I want to ask you. Um, so when your, your friend in San Francisco shelves are empty, he says, Hey, I need some beef. He tries this for the first time and he can actually distinguish the taste of your beef that's been fed with these potatoes from the beef he's been buying from the grocery store or, or butcher shop or wherever that was likely grass fed or grain fed with corn. Um, th- describe to us, did you know that had you already experienced that difference um, can you distinguish the difference or explain maybe to our, our people listening, what is the difference? I mean, what kind of flavored profile, what's the difference that we can expect if we were to taste one of those steaks? Um, well, I grew up on it. That's how a lot of people finish beef around here locally. Um, and so I knew it was better than anything I buy at the grocery store. I've always tried to finish our own beef and things like that. But um, I guess in easiest terms, to put it as far as a flavor content-wise, it's a smoother, um, <laughs> velvety, um, it's very rich, rich tasting. Um, so more of a luxurious type of a finish. Yeah, yeah, you could put it that way. Um, so... The biggest thing I've noticed is if I can cook a straight corn-fed steak, uh-huh. you have a yellow grease kind of in the pan. Like if yes. you did it in a skillet pan, you have a yellow grease when you get done. When you cook a potato fattened beef steak in a cast iron skillet, 
it's clear. Oh, really? It's it's not grease. It doesn't seem greasy. It's kind of like um, consistency of bacon grease, you know, that you might pour out of the pan, you know, or whatever. Clear looks pure, clean, you know, um, doesn't look like it's, you know, and and then after you put down a bite of it, you don't sometimes have that sticky grease feel, you know, like in in your mouth type of thing, um, mm-hmm. but. I mean, that's as close as I can get to explaining it. All I know is, oh, it tastes good, so I just eat a lot of it. <laughs> just got to try it and experience it. Well, I understand, okay, now how you're raising the beef. I understand how you're feeding, which is fascinating to me, by the way. I, I really like that part of the story. But when you were describing this to us earlier, when we got to the processing part of it, okay, and you're, yeah. you're, you've got these cattle ready to harvest. They're at weight. Yes. They've got finish on them. I didn't hear you one time talk about a packer. I heard you use the word butcher. So in the same way that you're using smaller producers, am I correct to guess that you're also using smaller local packers? Well, we have a small, um, the slaughter facility, they are a packer in a sense, but not in the true sense. I mean, we're, we're paying them a fee to put things into primals for us to make it for our butcher easier. Okay. Um, that's just based on facilities and everybody knows, I mean, God, think about what it would take to, you know, build your own slaughterhouse facility. It's going to be pretty drastic. Yeah. So that is where we would move to when we get to that point. Um, but right now we're working with a local company who's employing local local employees and we feel good about that um and we have a good relationship with them right now and so we're just going to keep that going um until we grow big enough that we can constitute doing something that's our own um so then we can once again have that fully into our vertical integration um but they that outfit um gets it into primals for us Um, cases of beef and then it goes to our local butcher so he is now employed with us and so he basically takes those primals your you know strip loins and whole rib roasts and things like that and he breaks them down into retail cuts Mm -hmm. so he's doing the ribeye steaks new york steaks chuck roasts um, those kind of things breaking them down into those individual cuts. Then they're getting vacuum sealed, packaged there, labeled, all that. And then they're going into our freezer system. Um, If we can ship it out fresh, it's great. But with the dry ice coming in the packages, we prefer to have it frozen um, immediately after packaging. And then that way it's as fresh as it can be when it gets frozen and then back out to you um in the same frozen state so um that's that's the butcher side of it and like i said uh our butcher he's been in it for 50 years he grew up with a meat shop with his dad ran his own for the past 30 years and then now has taken on the workload that we've been throwing at him <laughs> sounds like a hard-working guy uh, he he's uh 
you might say his wife the ramrod her on those parts <laughs> as it is with with most of our operations exactly yeah can relate well okay from the time he finishes butchering that meat and has it uh put in the cooler and from the time that i or one of your customers get it I'm guessing there's a whole lot of marketing that takes place in between those two points. And I am a, a, a geek about marketing. I love everything about marketing. I love to learn about marketing. Share with us a little bit how you're marketing. And, you know, so I want to try some of this potato finished meat. I mean, how do I go about getting it? How are you getting it out to the public, Cameron? Well, unitedharvest.com. Whenever anybody wants to go there, you, you'll get, hopefully all the information you want um there's a pretty good video on there under the beef section of our home ranch um of kind of you know you can see some of the places that we're at around here um but essentially we're really honing in on uh, podcasts social media um because it's a it's a more cost effective way than say running a Super Bowl ad, which I don't think we're doing anytime soon, but um, it's just more cost effective, but it really gets out there. And it also has that kind of, it gets passed around a little bit more word of mouth that way, you know, cause somebody shares it on Facebook to their friends and then they say, well, Hey, he, he's got it or he tried it. Maybe I'll try it, you know, kind of that, you know, you trust your friend that they like what you like type of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's mainly what we're focusing on. We're not doing a whole lot of print stuff or anything like that. Um, just seeing how far that kind of marketing will take us. And then, you know, who knows if it grows, it grows. And then maybe we are doing some big time advertising stuff later on. But from what I understand by listening to Cannon Brown's interview on the show with Matt and Jeff, you've got a guy on the team that knows a little bit about social media marketing, perhaps. Yeah, Jeff is. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying that sarcastically. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a professional by all means of the term. He uh, he's been. I won't divulge too much of his personal information, but he's worked for some very large tech companies and uh was kind of just you know part of his deal being a founder is he was looking for something cool to do and he thought this was very cool and something he wanted to be a part of so um he jumped in with both feet that's for sure okay so, well on that note cameron part of the cool factor with those guys and with you and this is what i continue to circle back to that i think is so impressive is Nobody in your team's looking to line their pockets. The mission behind the company, as you've described it, is to really help some of the people uh, in the production segment of this business who are struggling. And so Absolutely. get into that just a little bit more. How exactly is this more profitable for our cow-calf producers? Um, let's see. Well... <laughs> The, the biggest thing is, is, you know, a guy takes his calves to the local livestock auction mm -hmm. and he gets there and it's a gamble. I mean, it's a straight up gamble. He's already gambled with mother nature when his feed was getting 
you know, produced? Is there enough rain? Did I have enough winter? Do we have enough water? And now he's going to go take his whole calf crop and he's going to go to the local auction or video or something. And he's going to hope that he gets enough out of that auction to make ends meet for that year. And that's just scary for anybody, but you know, people earning a daily paycheck, uh, you know, they're, they're like, Hey, I show up at this time and I leave at this time and I go home with this much. Um, as long as I keep my nose clean and do what I'm supposed to do, I'm good. Well, the rancher, as long as he does everything right, that doesn't mean he's going to get paid that year. Um, by the way, the old system worked. So the idea is that if we can reward these ranchers for the things they're doing right on their ranch, the things they're doing right for their cattle, that money coming back to them is going to allow them to further succeed. So they're going to be able to either up their numbers of cattle or increase their land base or improve what they already have just better so their cattle are handled better or whatever. But the idea is that when we get to a certain point with United Harvest is that a rancher will feel pretty comfortable about saying, well, I don't want to just sell my calves. I want to take them all the way till they're in the box and headed to somebody's door. So that rancher could essentially own his cattle all the way to the point at which they are sold in the box going to the customer. And that would allow them to make the money from where that calf is being backgrounded and whatnot. They're going to get paid for that performance of the calf. When the calf hits the feedlot, they're going to get paid for any performance that that animal does in the feedlot. And then when it gets to the but the slaughter and the and the butcher, that extra marbling or ribeye size or whatever it is, that extra performance, he's going to get the good money out of that. Not the retailer made the money off a good marbled steak. The packer made the money off of a high yielding steer. The grower, backgrounder, he made the money off of a high gaining yearling. And now if that rancher can hold on to that animal all the way through, he can make all that money in the middle. Yeah. Because now, from a genetic standpoint and getting that calf started in, in a position where he can make money for all these other people, really, he's the foundation of the whole process, he or she. Absolutely. And he just doesn't get to share in any of those profits that are made all the way up the chain. So that's where the rancher can make the most money is if they're willing to retain ownership of those cattle all the way through the program. Right. That's where they can make the most money. Now, a lot of beef producers are not in a position to do that because, hey, this year's bills are right now. Yeah. And that's the trouble with cattle is they take a long time to get to that end game. But if somebody's in a position to say, well, we can take a risk on one load or two loads and the rest mm -hmm. of them will sell to you. Mm -hmm. Hey, that works. And then maybe that boosts their bottom line so they can roll those profits into, Hey, retaining ownership on another couple loads mm -hmm. of calves the next year. Mm -hmm. And uh, as long as those things can happen, 
which they can, then we can, they, these guys can start making more money. There's been similar co-op style stuff, but the co-ops, you know, these ranchers are not going to essentially own all the pieces that they're working up. They're just, there's going to be a cost to feed them. There's going to be a cost um, to kill them and butcher them and all that. And all those costs will come out. And that's what I like is nobody's going to be losing their jobs. We're just going to be making sure that instead of those big companies at the top trying to take more off the top, well, they're going to get more out to their employees and then more back to the rancher. So I think that's important to look at is the goal is to make sure that everybody in our organization wants to be there is working because they're a good employee, they're talented or something along those lines. But I told the founders of United Harvest, at one point I said, our goal should be to have people knocking on our door to come work for us, not to have to hunt them down. And I said, if, if we're doing our job right, then, then we're gonna have people who wanna work for us because they believe in what we're doing. That's a great way to look at it. You know, we've talked about several industry type of topics and another one that is certainly front and center um, with any kind of food is sustainability and the animal welfare component. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of people in the, if you're in the dairy business, if you're in the beef business, probably even in the farming business, somehow or another, we have gotten a black eye in the uh, in some parts of our uh, consuming public to where there's a misconception that you know animals are treated poorly um, <laughs> that there's um, you know um, uh, welfare problems that there's nutrition pro all kinds of problems we know from from people that are doing this for a living every day that's not the case but unfortunately perception is reality and we have to hit this head on the perception that's out there and get this turned around. So what are you guys doing as far as sustainability, welfare, the public image is the way I would say it, Cameron, what's the public image? How are you working on that at United Harvest to give people confidence, the consumers confidence that, Hey, this stuff's being grown in the way that I want it grown not a ton of extra things going into this meat that doesn't need to be there. These cattle are given a good life. They're being treated humanely, being harvested humanely. And at the end of the day, I can enjoy a steak with a clear conscience. Is that fair? I mean, how are you guys yeah. tackling that? Well, the first part is, is we're trying to work with from the ground up with ranchers who um, are either generational. I mean, one thing about a generational ranch is usually it's it's been in you know an operating ranch for generations because it's been successful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and there's a piece to everything. Um, you know, where you say, okay, well, um, it, people people want to see future generations succeed. So we'd really love to, you know, for the ranches we work with, um, to be generational succession, um, ranches, but you know, that's not to say there's not a guy who showed up and 
plants the seed and gets his ranch going and he's fresh at the deal, but he's doing it right from the get go, you know? So, right. Those are the kind of guys we want to work with. We'd love to work with innovators. I mean, people who think outside the box and see that, yeah, sometimes it works to do it the way it's been done for a hundred years. If we think that's right, but we want to see people thinking of new ways to do things that, that are beneficial to, everyone and by everyone i mean earth like the people the product the animal um the packaging getting down to the the land they're producing it on right right and the soil i mean we take it all back it comes from the dirt you know so it it's about all those facets and that's a big hope you know i mean if you could tie all that together and say man i got this 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 and this and this all nailed down perfect well then you might be you know going for the job of somebody higher upstairs you know (laughs) but but nobody's perfect but we just want to see people who are trying to strive for these innovation and sustainability pieces um an example is you know a generational ranch that's on its third generation um grandfather at 92 gets on a horse every day grandson is his kind of foreman who's 20 or sorry 35 and he's on the ranch every day and they ride horses together but that ranch has been in their family for a hundred years and they but they practice good management they rotational graze, they keep up their water sources, they produce their own feed on one site with very low inputs, you know, very, no nitrogen-based fertilizers or things like that for natural grasses. And so they do a lot of things on their property the way we envision, you know, people to do them, but they've been doing them for a hundred years. So they've got both facets, a multi-generational ranch, but then they're they're doing all the right things as far as most people are concerned with grazing practices and things like that. Um, and they're raising their cattle up to um, the feedlot stage. So they're coming off their ranch at 950 pounds and things like that. So they're doing a lot of things right. Another outfit that we're with is highly focused on the genetic piece. Um, We bought some of their cattle and they are some of the best, you know, nine weight steers I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they're just astronomically beautiful, uniform. Um, They're performing extremely well in the feedlot. And so we're liking that those guys are really honing in on this genetic piece and they're selecting um, cattle for a lot of um, traits, you know, um, that they're not holding back any cows that are questionable. Mm-hmm. So that's a good practice too. And that we really like, um, and then they're doing a lot of, um, they've got some solar going on on their property. Mm-hmm. Um, they're working with that. So we like renewable energy sources. If people are doing those on their ranch um, or, water management practices that are really healthy, you know, um, staggered pond systems, you know, where they're catching as much runoff water as they can 
mm-hmm. um, you know, versus letting it all go down. Or um, They've got good erosion control on mountainsides and hillsides. Um, just stuff like that. I mean, anything that you can say is, hey, this is, this is something I've been trying and it's working. You know, we like to hear about those things and hopefully pass that knowledge on to other people. So... I like what you're saying and I like what I'm hearing, but I'm going to play maybe devil's advocate here just a little bit with you, Cameron. So those things all sound good, right? And yep. I don't think anyone would disagree that I don't want that. That's, that's a, something we should all strive for. But the one thing that I do not believe in is feel-goodism. You know, talk is cheap, in other words. And yeah. I don't ever want to BS myself when it comes to something as serious as this. So at the end of the day, I got to ask you, how do you know? How do you know these people who claim that they're doing? And I'm even thinking about this from a consumer's view of United Harvest, but also your United Harvest, your view of, of the people that you're working with. How does everybody know that what you say you're doing is what you're actually doing? Because again, talk's <laughs> cheap. It's easy to say one thing and do another. How do you verify this? Well, uh, third party, very third party verification is definitely an asset to that. Um, we've been working with IMI global. Um, I've worked with them for a number, number of years through their gap program, but they decided to come out with a new program called beef cares. And it's actually an all encompassing of almost all of everything I just talked about on a ranch. It's like, that's what they made this program for. You can be part of this program if you meet a lot of these qualifications. Um, Part of their deal is highly focused on how you work cattle. It's one of the few verification processes that actually comes out to the ranch and visually watches you work cattle um, to make sure you're doing it right. Yes. Um, They, we had our, person come out for our feedlot and uh, they watched us work a hundred head of um, large cattle through the chute um, minimal hot shot use things like that um, recorded what happened with each animal um, you know was it struggling was it having a hard time you know did the facilities work good you know things like that so that's huge I mean that that takes a big part of the process out like you said are they doing what they say they're doing? Oh yeah, we're nice to our cattle. Well, I have no idea what they're doing out when they're checking yearlings or something. So, um, but these guys do a pretty good job and then they've added this sustainability piece to that program where they want to see um, that you're moving forward, you're innovating, you know, you're, you're maybe putting some solar wells up or you're in, increasing your stocking rate over here due to rotational grazing all those little pieces they uh, it's a good two hour phone interview with them and then they have an inspector come out um, so it's not lip service you guys are really pardon the pun you're hanging some meat on the bones of this thing Um, and there's there is quite a bit of verification it sounds like yeah, and we're willing to work with people who don't necessarily want to work with IMI on that specific program, but that's what we're doing our feedlot based on is their uh-huh. beef care program. Uh-huh. And our cow-calf is also on that. But I, 
I would say the answer to your question is how do we make sure that that we know is we're going to go out there and we're going to make sure we know. Sure. Because we had a good conversation about, let's say United Harvest takes off and moves far forward. Well, what's our plan? And essentially we, we mapped out a guideline that there's going to be a person that works for United Harvest and that's their job is to go out there and vet these ranchers, go to their ranches, see them work cattle, see what they're doing right, you know, and, and inspect. And not to be, you know, a government-style inspection. We're not going to find people. We're not going to do things like that. But we can definitely look at a ranch and say, I'm sorry, but we can't in good nature put your stuff on our site because, you know, these this is not – this is not what we're about. So I, I think that's important for some people too. If they think they're going to want to try and pull the wool over somebody's eyes, uh, that's going to be pretty hard to do because we're, we're sticking to our guns. <laughs> Man, I like that. And something that's so important to me whenever I'm doing business with someone, and we could talk about any kind of product, but I want the people that I deal with to be authentic. I want them to be real. I don't want to just be being told what I want to hear. Nothing's perfect. There's good, there's bad, there's pros, there's cons. I want to know it all and then let me decide. And that's, you know, it's something even on this podcast we try and do. We try and be authentic and real with our conversations that we have. And we've had some very authentic and good, genuine conversations about tough topics, things that aren't uh, easy to talk about. Go back and listen to the episode with Brandon Callis, if you want an example of that. But they're, they're so valuable and authenticity is so valuable. And I think the future for any kind of business is going to be found in those, I think success will be found in those that are able to find genuine, authentic, sincere ways of communicating with their customers. And so I love what you're doing with your third party verification. And um, along with everything else that you've described, as a matter of fact, but who else is on the team? I mean, I wanted to get you on here, Cameron, because you're kind of like us, right? You're the boots on the ground guy. You're the guy that's getting up every morning and feeding cattle. You're driving around in a cake truck. You're on a tractor bailing hay in the summer. Um, you're the one pushing cattle in a chute. You're the one squeezing and, and giving shots and doing all these things. So we can, we can relate with you but I'm sure the team is broader than that. Who else have you brought in to help with this mission? Um, well, we uh, got a gal that um, works for me now. Um, she's a mother of four, single mom, uh, hardest working lady we know. <laughs> and, nice. uh, she actually is our, is our go between. She, uh, she assists me in daily operation things and book work. And then uh, anytime somebody on the packaging side or on the shipping side needs an extra hand or a big order day or something, uh, she, she goes between all that. And her name is Paula Fields. So she's uh, extremely valuable to our team um, and recent, uh, recent hire here in the last two months. So she's been extremely helpful. Um, my wife, as I said, is in the shipping department along with another young lady, um, who is a ramrod <laughs> and she, they, uh, they handle pretty much all the shipping with the two of them. And, uh, her actually, um, significant other is one of the cowboys on the ranch. 
So he, uh, he helps us with daily cattle health and um, feedlot stuff. Um, and then basically we have uh, the Woods family that is our butcher shop um, arsenal. <laughs> yeah. They are uh, a whole family and a lot, of, a lot of them work up in the butcher shop packaging meat. Um, so we've got those guys and, uh, another guy that I would say is a big part of our operation. He works for me, but his name is Josh Freeman and he, uh, he is the one guy I trust just about to do anything with cattle. And he, uh, he's on our calving crew, everything crew, but, um, he's, he's the go-to as far as it comes to our seed stock side of things. Um, he, he handles most of the cattle one-on-one at some point <laughs> more than most people. So he's a well, huge we, part we, of our operation. I know it takes a team and uh, certainly sounds like you guys are putting a great one together. And I appreciate you taking a little time to just break down that big, cause this, I mean, you got to remember you've been tackling this thing forever. How many years now? This is the first time that I and my listeners are hearing this pretty radically different concept of, of producing beef for the very first time. So you did a deep dive with us there from the standpoint of where your calves coming from, what you're feeding them, who's butchering them, how you marketing them the whole nine yards. And that's painted a much clearer picture for us. So I appreciate that. But the, the part that we haven't quite touched on yet that we need to is how it all works. And what I mean by that is in the end, the product, the product, the steak, we got to, we, we open up the refrigerator door, we pull oh, open yeah. that meat drawer and there's our beautiful ribeye steak waiting to go on the grill. And you said earlier, your goal is to make not a grocery store quality, medium quality type of product. You want a premium restaurant quality, very luxurious type of steak and eating experience. So tell us about the product, man. I got to hear a little bit more about this. Well, um, I mean, basically, you know, when you get a ribeye, you know, a ribeye is your nice, you know, that's the picture perfect steak to me it's my go-to that's that's what i do too um you know our ribeyes i I can't say it perfectly every time they happen but you know we get them out and they've just got that extremely nice bright white fat content to them i mean it's just it's just pure white there's just no no discoloration or anything in it um and then we really strive for that marbling piece. Even if you're getting a choice, choice minus, we still want to see that nice marbling marks right through the middle of that meat center. And uh, then just the key to us getting that meat cut fresh and then right, you know, into flash freeze kind of situation is, man, it just keeps that color. It's not out in the air. And mm-hmm. so you just get that bright red color with that white fat. And, you know, you just see that and you're like, oh, man, I can – you start thinking about how that's going to cook up. And it's, it really will just get your juices flowing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, you know, and the, the beauty of these this meat is I haven't found a real way to screw it up yet other than overcooking it. Yeah. 
But, um, you know, we got people who like to skillet fry it. We got uh-huh. people who like to barbecue it, like to smoke it. Oh, I haven't tried that. I've tried it all. I mean, um, but my favorite is to um, uh, my favorite way to do it is just honestly just a grill, with a little garlic um, powder, pepper, salt, and uh, I just like doing it on a gar- gas grill. And I'm a rare guy, so I'm a couple minutes aside and I'm done. So it's uh, but. Uh, we've had just excellent feedback through the website. I mean, we have, I can honestly say we haven't had very many um, poor feedback or reviews and we've had some exceptional ones. Uh, One guy in, for instance, explained to us that his kids do not like meat and he has real trouble getting them to ever eat it. And he got them to eat some of our beef steak or regular steak not our wagyu's and uh and they asked for more and he said well now i have to order you guys' stuff because it's the only beef my kids will eat it's the only way i can get some protein into my kids (laughs) so we were like wow i mean that was a huge deal and so that's the kind of reviews we've been seeing and we're just tickled pink that and we're just the biggest thing is we just don't want to let anybody down. My biggest fear is I'm going to have somebody call up one day and think, well, this steak wasn't as good as the last one. I'm, I'm going to say, well, I tried real hard, but, <laughs> but that's my biggest fear. I mean, I just want these customers to be extremely satisfied and that's, that's all I can hope for. I, you know, I've made the comment to lots of people that say, well, how many new orders did you have? And I said, well, my true, my true sense of how is it going is how many return buyers do we have uh-huh, sure. um, because that means they're in it. I mean, they want more and they're returning. So and it's kind of like if you open a new restaurant, you get a big inflow of people. Everybody wants to try it, but it's the people that come back and keep coming back. That's what makes your business successful. Right. So, Well, I want to tell people, um, encourage them to try it. And I want you to tell them how they can try the product, but also tell us, I mean, you've described something pretty innovative and unique here. And I would guess that from a production standpoint, people who are in the cow-calf business, there's got to be some people wanting to know, can I get involved with this? Are you to the point now Mm -hmm. that you're ready to take on more people? And I don't know that you are. So answer that question for us. I guess what I'm asking, give us a little glimpse into the future as to how you see this thing growing, when you could tackle and take on more people, and also certainly how people can get involved with you as a company and buying the product um, in form of steaks and the other meats that you sell. Gotcha. Um, Well, for people who want to get involved, if you're a cattle producer, um, the best thing to do is hit up our website. Um, you know, there's a, there's a section on our website that is, you know, how can you get involved and you can leave a comment and we can have your contact information and we can get back to you right now. We're still just building on how our whole process works. And we don't want to, like I said, we don't want to let down customers, but we also don't want to let down a producer that Mm. says, well, Hey, I jumped in with both feet. And then we're like, well, you know, something happened. We're still working out some kinks and stuff, but we want to get those ironed out 
really before we let the floodgates kind of open. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but the best thing is if people are interested or at least want to know more, just get on the website, unitedharvest.com, get in like the comments or contact us and leave us a message that way. And mm-hmm. then um, if they want to call me, they can contact part of our um, website team and they can get those people in contact with me. Um, and we can have conversations about whatever they want to talk about, but that's the, that's the best way to go for it now. And if there was somebody who's, you know, closer to us, I'd love to come to a ranch tour with them or something, you know, to see what they're doing, see what they're at. And if anything, get them on the list to be like, okay, well, you know, we may be calling you in six months and say, do you want to do this? And then they have that option. So um that and it's hard to gauge your growth that. to know exactly when you're when you're ready for that but i like that you're thinking ahead a little bit to let's get some people organized maybe that are like-minded and would be a good fit for us and uh, yeah just go back to this i love that you guys are so picky about what you're doing and you're so no. intentional and uh, i think you've got really a great path if this thing launches and takes off like we all hope it does uh, this could be very very exciting for you for everybody yeah, involved well and that that's the thing we see is this thing has an infinite growth possibility and we hope this also not just for us we hope it for anybody who's doing this type of business right now because that's what's going to make the difference nationwide against these monopolized big companies that's what's going to make the difference is if everybody who is doing these things can be successful because then that's going to get those guys put back in check at least. And so I'm not telling anybody, Oh, these guys, you know, their stuff's no good or whatever. No, I just want people to feel comfortable with what we're doing. They want to switch lanes. That's up to them, but we're not trying to drag people away from something else by slandering anything because that's just not right. But at the same point, you know, those guys are, they're doing their own thing. And that's why we're trying to be a little bit different, a little more transparent. And like you said, we're just really going to get picky about some of the things we do. So, um, but picky's a good thing. Yeah. So I, but I think, yeah, I mean, if anybody has any questions, they get a hold of us. Um, and, the other thing I always forget about is, hey, I'm I'm the beef producer guy, but we do have uh, lamb and pork on the website, um, and we've had pork chops while we were trying to do meetings and stuff, and oh my lord, that stuff was good. So um, that that pork coming out of Canada is um, from these hotterite colonies, which are they are truly kind of the conception to table type of mentality. They do their own breeding programs. They raise their own hogs, fatten their own hogs, the whole nine yards. And uh, they're just extremely passionate about what they do. And I think that translates into how their meat tastes. And then you also have Anderson ranches um, up in Oregon that, um, we've been getting lamb products from and they're just they're doing a stand-up job and doing it right and i don't think the sheep really ever get handled too much honestly um other than at the end of their life but they're just 
living on grass up in the valley in, in Oregon. So, um, but those guys are doing a really good job on their products. You guys are quality focused and the products that you offer the consumer and your customers um, certainly are that. They're high quality, they're top end, top shelf um, meats, and it'll be a fantastic eating experience, no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. um, it's a natural fit here um, to talk to you about stock shows and burritos. And if you listen to our <laughs> podcast, I love that everybody laughs about this. But, man, we just talk about food all the time. We, we have fun with food. Food's an art to me, you know, and oh, it's, yes. it can be an experience. And so let me ask you, in the United Harvest lineup, you talked about your, your steaks, your ribeyes, your strips, your Wagyu, but also the pork products, the lamb products. What's your favorite cut of meat that you guys offer? Oh, well, favorite, I'd have to say is probably our ribeye. But, but the sneaker one to me is a filleted flat iron, which we fillet oh. ours instead of uh, leaving the piece of membrane um, gristle that's in the center usually. Uh huh. So if you get a, a flat iron from us, it's filleted. So that's not in there. Well, a little different a, twist on it. Yeah, so it's a it's a nice um, nice marbled set of, or piece of meat. The grain of the meat runs a little different, but that baby right there. Um, my favorite thing to do with that is put a little dry rub on it or a little marinade for about an hour before you're gonna cook it and then throw it on the grill and they're thin so you cook them pretty light um and you just you know literally you can cook one in five minutes on high heat and oh my gosh just mouth-watering super easy finger food for like a you know having a couple people over to the house for drinks or something but it's uh it's kind of the sneaker one for me i i really like that kind of meat <laughs> Give us a little advice. Let's say it is uh, it's Saturday evening. You've invited uh, some couples over. You and your wife are going to have uh, open a bottle of wine. You're going to have some friends over. You're going to grill some steaks or cook some steaks. Whatever cut it is, how do you best prepare meat? You know, what are you a skillet guy? Are you a, a charcoal grill guy? Are you running a pellet grill? What, give us the best way to prepare these, these cuts. Oh, okay. Fully engulfed evening. If I was going to have people over, I'd start them off with a little uh, flat iron um, filet appetizer. Just yeah. cut it up into steak bites, a little seasoning. Do that on the skillet or on the gas grill or whatever you want to do. And then I'd have to say I'd top her off with uh, some nice thick cut ribeyes, and I could, I would probably do them uh, a little bit of smoked sea salt, fresh cracked pepper, and a lit, little bit of uh, garlic oil. Ah. Uh, rub that in on top, and I would just cook them to order on the on a gas grill or or a charcoal grill, high heat, and uh, call it good. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. We keep it pretty simple: a little glaze of some oil, some sea salt, some pepper. I like Jim Baldridge seasoning 
on oh, my yeah. steaks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a mixture of different things, but a little coat of that. And we go like high quick on two sides and then cut it down a little bit and, and finish it just a little bit on the grill. But yeah. nothing better. In fact, I had one like that last night. So gosh, you were just a natural for stock shows and burritos. I was so excited when I was writing this out to get to that part of it. Cause I knew we'd talk about some good stuff. So, well, there it is folks. Um, you know, we're, the podcast isn't about trying to hawk products and I want to point that out, but these folks have come along beside us. They believe in what we're doing and we believe in what they're doing. And I think maybe in this interview, you've heard from Cameron, who's a producer, just like you guys in the process exactly why they're doing what they're doing and there's a mission behind it and there's a purpose behind it and it's something really really good and we hope that it gets wings and takes off and just soars for you all and um, I hope you guys will be watching I hope you try some of their products and enjoy them that they are very very good very high quality very enjoyable um, but if nothing else happens from this interview Cameron Mm -hmm. I hope that it will just open our eyes and expand our minds and expand our thinking a little bit that we don't have to do things the way we've always done them. They, you know, even in beef production, we can build a better mousetrap. We've done it this way a long time and it's worked well, but as technology advances, as the genetics advance, as we learn new things, as our markets change, certainly COVID the year 2020, has been a year of disruption. A lot of things have changed and that there's some of those changes we we're talking about this today are going to be here to stay. They're going to be long lasting. Um, a lot of people have said, I can't wait to when things go back to normal. It's not going to exactly look the same in my opinion. And so I hope that today we can just create a conversation and I do encourage you to go back and listen. I've mentioned it a couple of times already. Uh, the founders, Jeff and Matt, did an interview with Cannon Brown that was really good. And I, I can't remember Cameron whose story this was, but one of them gave the analogy of a wine grower mm -hmm. a guy who, or a grape grower who makes wine, a winemaker, I should say it. A winemaker is looked at by the public as an artist. And yeah. we talk about the grapes and we talk about the flavor profiles and there's a guy named Chris Licurto who shared this example with me, talks about the root system of these grape vines and the, yep. the minerals and the different soils and the different nutrients that are pulled up through these roots into those grapes and what a difference that makes in the final product, that bottle of wine and all the richness and the flavors that you can get out of that wine. Why aren't our beef producers looked at as artists? And Absolutely. just as you've laid out so clearly, the different feedstuffs, the different genetics, the different processes, the way you care for the animals, it can affect how that steak tastes at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and how it eats at the end of the day. So I think you've challenged our thinking a little bit, and you've opened our minds to think about ourselves as artists, not just commodity producers. That's one steak's the same as the other, it's the same as the other, blah, 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 blah. We can right. be really niche and we can be really unique with some, creati with some creativity. And now there are avenues and ways to do that because of folks like you. And, and hopefully we can all pull together and work for something like this because I love the definition of insanity. You've probably heard this. <laughs> Doing the same thing yes. over and over and over and over and expecting a different result. Yes. And so if we want something different out of this beef business, 
we're probably going to have to look at some things different in the beef business. And I take my hat off to you. I think the cattle's pros audience would take their hats off to you and applaud you for at least trying something. And it looks like it's getting traction and steam. And like I said, man, we're cheering for you. We hope this thing takes off and, and does great things. Well, thank you for having me. And I, uh, like I said, I just, I think uh, I like your point of uh, the insanity piece. Uh, we all just got to change our mindset. It's a different world today and, and it's changing seems faster than ever all the time, but if we don't keep up with it, we're going to get left in the dust. And um, I didn't say it earlier, but I want to leave everybody with one thing. And that's um, community is one of the most important things we have in our world. And I think uh, that what we're trying to do and what other people can try and do is really hone in on supporting and, and building their community up from the ground up around them and businesses um, that are local and and community oriented. And, uh, but that's my last little tidbit. That's, I just wanted to say that. I'm glad you did. Give us that website one more time, Cameron. It is unitedharvest.com and uh, you guys can hit it up. We got a lot of good promo codes and stuff going on right now. Um, can't remember any of them off the top of my head, but uh, get on our website and check everything out. And I think you'll hear those promo codes running in the uh, the commercials that are now airing on the Bear Media Network across the different podcasts under that umbrella. So listen to those promo codes. It'll save you some money. Cameron King, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure having you on here. I've had a blast talking about this. You've definitely opened our minds to some different ideas and concepts, and we'll be watching closely to see how this unfolds. All right. Thanks, Jake. Stay in touch. All right. See ya.